Hey guys, welcome back to another video. It is Clay. Today I want to talk about something I've been researching lately, and that is codependency. I've been drawing quite a few conclusions and parallels about this word to other things that I've talked about. So things like people-pleasing. Is codependency the same as people-pleasing? Is there a difference there? Um, things like runaway extroverted feeling, which is something I've talked a lot about on this channel for the INFJ personality. Is runaway extroverted feeling just another word for codependency? So I've come to think of people sitting somewhere on a spectrum. And on one hand, you have people that put their needs first too much. They, they care too much about their own needs. And on the other end, you have people that don't care enough about their own needs and care too much about other people's needs. So on one hand, the people that care too much about their own needs, I would put them kind of as narcissists. And on the other end, traditionally, I would have called them people pleasers. Those are the people that sacrifice themselves to make other people happy constantly. But what I've come to realize from researching about codependency is that I think when I have called people excessive people pleasers, what really I mean is they are codependent. I think those two things are actually exactly the same thing. If you are a people pleaser to an unhealthy degree, you are codependent or at least partly codependent. Codependency isn't an actual clinical definition. It's not like narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder or borderline personality disorder, which are actual personality disorders that are like clinical terms. A codependent is a person that almost uses serving others as a kind of drug to make themselves feel better. I think often there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with it. So they push and pour themselves into others in an attempt to make themselves feel useful, valid, worthwhile. So as I've talked in other videos, I think it's a really unhealthy thing. I think that if you are excessively people-pleasing or being codependent, that it's something that you really need to work on and get out of that mindset. And I believe it is something that you can fix. I think other things like narcissism, I think it is very hard for a narcissist to fix themselves. I think it's almost impossible for you to fix a narcissist. That is 100% for sure. You can't fix a narcissist. Generally speaking, narcissists aren't the type of people that want to fix themselves because they actually think there's nothing wrong with themselves. So I think I've misunderstood the word codependency. I think in the past, I had kind of thought of it more like a person who's really clingy or a person who can't be alone, a person who needs to attach themselves to another person. I wouldn't really call myself a clingy person per se. However, I think that I am definitely, or I have been, an excessive people pleaser, which is I find myself worth in helping other people. It makes me feel good when I'm helping. So it's not really a label that I would really want to attach to myself. I think most people don't want to call themselves codependent. However, after researching this a bunch, I think I can confidently say that I have codependent tendencies. And I wonder, if a lot of the people that I'm talking to right now also have codependent tendencies. And I think it's, it's like a spectrum, right? Um, you could be healthy right in the middle, but still have some tendencies. You could be, you know, leaning into the codependent territory and you're more unhealthy and you're definitely living as a codependent. So what are a few signs of codependency? I think a big one is terrible boundaries. People can take advantage of you. 
They can ask you to do things you have, you can't even say no. People just walk all over you and you're kind of a willing participant because like I said, it makes you feel useful and better. It's like you find your self-worth in helping these people. The problem is, is that narcissists are usually the ones that have no problem asking these types of things of people. And it's not that narcissism and codependency are opposites. I think a lot of people tend to go that way. Uh, let's say you've been with a narcissist. I think it's easy to say they were the abuser and I'm the victim. So from listening to Richard Grannon quite a bit about narcissism, I think that view of what codependency and narcissism is, is incorrect. Narcissism is a very unhealthy state. Codependency is also extremely unhealthy. It's like the two work together. If a narcissist comes up to a completely healthy person and tries some manipulative behavior on them, a healthy person will just be like, whoa, I'm out of here, and they'll leave, and, and the narcissist tricks won't work. A codependent comes along, on the other hand, and they will fall for it. And I think that's why narcissism and codependency, they're like a match made in hell. It's like they're made for each other. The codependent isn't blameless. They are this willing participant. And it's, it's not even necessarily willing. It's not like a choice. It's like a drive from inside of them. It comes from this unhealthy place to please others. It's almost like, and this is something I heard from Richard Grannon, it's almost like codependency creates the fertile breeding ground for narcissists to flourish. So if you have these codependent tendencies, you're just basically like an open book for a narcissist to come in almost like a parasite and a host type relationship. So what are some other signs of codependency? Another big one is you're just really bad at saying no. People ask you to do things and you just don't even, even if you don't wanna do them, you still do it. So another one might be you don't even have your own identity apart from another person or a group. It's like you find your identity in supporting this other person or group. I don't want to pick on Christians because there are plenty of healthy Christians, obviously. However, religious narcissism is a real thing. And religious codependency, I think, is also a real thing. I think sometimes you get these narcissistic leaders that come up and then all these codependent followers and they kind of breathe in and support this person. I think that communities like that, religious communities, it could be any type of like really tight-knit community are a place where codependents can kind of get sucked into and almost lose their identity apart from this group or community. You know, like cults. Cults are a perfect example. You've got this abusive leader and then all these codependent followers who kind of just fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. But it's not just falling for it because inside it's almost like what they need to feel like whole useful people. So another sign might be deciding how you feel about something based on what everybody else feels and thinks about it. It's like you don't have your own opinion. I think that the INFJ personalities or any personality that has extroverted feeling in the top two spots can be really susceptible to this. So I think this is why I've decided that unchecked extroverted feeling is codependency. So do I think INFJs are codependent? No, but I think an unhealthy INFJ that has runaway extroverted feeling likely is codependent. I think in general INFJs have codependent tendencies and that's why it's so important for us to learn about this 
so we can recognize the signs and catch those things before we kind of slide into these codependent behaviors. So what are some other signs? You use covert contracts. I think this is a big one. And covert contracts are something that I've been really quite interested in lately. Covert contracts come from not knowing how to be direct, not knowing how to ask for things, ask for your needs to be fulfilled. So instead of asking somebody or telling somebody, hey, this is my needs, can you do this for me? Codependent people will sometimes have a lot of trouble with being direct. They can't really articulate to somebody what their needs are. So instead, they use these kind of covert ways to get their needs met. And these are called covert contracts, and it is manipulation through and through. So it's actually a perfect example of how codependent people can be extremely manipulative. Covert contracts are something that very indirect people, people that don't know how to say no, you know, they have to get their needs met somehow. They can't do it through direct communication, so they use these covert contracts to get it. So what's an example of a covert contract? Let's say a codependent person has a certain need that they need met. Say they need attention or affirmation or some kind of validation. Rather than ask for that or engage in a conversation that would directly address that need, they will do something that kind of makes them hope they'll get those things. So like giving a gift, for example, um, could be a covert contract. Let's say I give somebody a gift, not because I just wanna be giving or I wanna give this person something that they could use, but it's so that they'll give me a gift back. So instead of saying, hey, can you do this for me? I will do something for them that I think they need. And then I sit there and I wait for them to reciprocate. But then when it doesn't come, I feel upset, angry, that this person isn't really doing what they're supposed to do. And covert contracts basically are manipulation because you're, ex you're just trying to get things through backhanded ways. And that's what manipulative behavior is. Instead of just being direct and asking for things so that people know what you're talking about, know, they know what you mean, they know what you're saying, they don't really know what you're meaning. You're trying to do things kind of in this sly way. That's what manipulation really is. So another sign that you're codependent is helping lost causes. You see this a lot in unhealthy relationships. You've got somebody that's almost trying to rescue somebody through having a relationship with them. This isn't something I've, I've personally struggled with, but I have friends and I know somebody, actually I know a couple people right now that immensely struggle with this. It's like they see these lost causes, they think they can fix them, and then they kind of attach themselves to this person and pour everything they have into this person and prop this person up. And then they sit there and they wait, almost like a covert contract, to wait for this person to reciprocate the love and you know, the relationship that they expect and want. But it doesn't come, because this person is damaged, broken. This person isn't the person that they need in a relationship. But it's almost like they're attracted to them because of the project that this person represents. So that's, that's really unhealthy, obviously. So another sign of codependency is immense guilt. And I think that codependency is actually fueled by guilt. And it's almost like the relieving of the guilt is what makes a codependent person feel better. And I know all about this. It's like, oh, I feel guilty, so then you do it. Oh, this person really needs my help. How can I just sit here and not help them when I have the means to help? And so you do it. So I run a couple different businesses and I got a lot of work to do. And sometimes 
in the past, doesn't happen so much anymore, you know, a nonprofit would come up to me and be like, hey, we really need this. Can you help us out? We don't have any budget. And I'd be like, oh, well, it's a really good cause, so I'll, I'll help for free. You know, and then all of a sudden, here I am doing this 40-hour project for somebody when I have all this work of my own that is now not happening. This is a perfect example of, I, of sacrificing my own needs in order to meet these other people. But the interesting thing is, is through this process, is it relieves my guilt, my, my guilt of not helping, not doing anything. And so then after I'm done, I feel less guilty, but then none of my work is done. It's unhealthy because you don't want to be doing things out of guilt. If you're ever doing anything out of guilt, I think it's a really perfect time to sort of pause and reflect on what's going on here. Are you just doing this out of guilt or is there some other reason? So one more sign that you might be codependent is it's almost like you feel bad for your abuser. Let's say you're with a narcissist. Let's say you're with a manipulative person. Somebody else who is controlling you to an unhealthy level. I mean, there's all kinds of different uh, abuse that can, can go on, emotional abuse, physical abuse. But then as that's happening, it's almost like you feel bad for the abuser. And so then you continue to let it happen because you just have so much empathy for them, right? It's like somebody can be emotionally abusing me and as I pull myself back, I feel bad and guilty because, because why? Because I think inside there's like some kind of obligation that I have to this person. And it's not true. So what is codependency caused by? I, I don't really know if it has anything to do with personality. I, I suspect it might have more to do with your upbringing. So living with a narcissist could be a big reason why you may have developed codependencies. Children that are forced to behave like adults. From what I've read and heard, that sounds like a surefire way to develop codependency. Like let's say you had an extremely emotionally unstable parent and every day when you came home from school you kind of like you know peek your head in the door like is and you try to like gauge the emotion of the house the emotion of the parent. So it's like well is uh, is he okay today? Is he not okay today? Is she okay today? Is she not okay today? Is this a good day? And it's almost like you know that this person's emotional state is what is going to determine if you are having a good day or a bad day. So it's almost like you become hypersensitive to the emotional state of others. I think that as a child, if you're forced to be hypersensitive to the emotions of others and actually start to associate your own well-being with the positive emotional state of somebody else, I think that is for sure going to create codependency. So I think also living with any person or living within a system that makes you feel guilty about who you are. It actually teaches you that you are not good enough. You need to hide yourself. You need to act better. You need to act different. You can't be your authentic self because that is wrong for whatever reason. I think that a lot of extreme religious stuff is like this. You know, and I wonder if personality has a lot to do with this too. Like if you're already a bit of a self-conscious person or a self-conscious child and then you're kind of thrust into like a religious system that kind of teaches you that you're not good enough on your own, that all these thoughts inside of your head are sins, 
that the things that you see as possibly logical are incorrect. It's almost like you develop this sense of guilt of who you are. I mean, it's, it's horrible. I think if there's one thing that I want to instill into my kids is that like you are okay exactly the way you are. And you don't have to worry about my emotional state. I'm actually always telling my daughter that. Uh, she's nine, and I, I already see it in her where she's worried about my emotional state, which is good, right? That's empathy. It's good to see that she has empathy. However, I don't want it to become something that she's burdened by. So I'm always telling her, you know what? Don't worry about me. Like, don't worry about how I'm feeling about this. How do you feel about this? What do you want to do? I think that can be a really healthy thing for a child to kind of let them off the hook for their parents' emotions. I think that children that are made to behave like adults or almost become a parent's confidant or a parent's emotional support, especially if this child is an empathetic person. I think that's damaging and I think it can create codependency. So I think one problem with relationships that are based on this codependent narcissistic thing, this kind of symbiotic relationships, unhealthy symbiotic relationship, is that if the codependent person ever starts to heal and grow over time, like let's say somebody is a, just a complete codependent mess and they're 22, this narcissist comes along, it just seems to work, um, because the codependent loves the narcissist and the narcissist loves the codependent, right? These two get married. And then all these unhealthy rituals and cycles, they all start. And this goes on for years and years and years. And let's say slowly, the codependent person starts to heal themselves. Let's say they're the type of person that enjoys you know, self-improvement and progress and learning things. I think what, what can happen and what does happen a lot of times with relationships like that is this person starts to become less codependent and it's something they start to resist and they start to feel that they want to be their own person. They want to be authentic. And this is basically what happened to me. Like I started to realize a lot of these things. I wanted to be more authentic. I wanted to be who I was. I wanted to be able to say no. I didn't want to be taken advantage of by people. I wanted to create my own identity. I wanted to learn how to be okay with people being upset with me to the point where I don't feel guilty and then cave and do what they want. The problem is when, you, when a codependent in a relationship that is based on codependency, when that person starts to heal themselves, like let's say they start going to therapy and they start to come out of it, the relationship is going to go into a bit of turmoil because the narcissist is used to a very specific type of behavior out of this person, but this person stops doing it. So I think in these types of relationships, it is, it's a really challenging thing because as this person becomes stronger and less codependent, if that is possible and if that person works on it, you know, the relationship starts to crumble because it's based on this sort of parasitic host type thing. And in the end, the relationship might fall apart. 
To be honest, I think my own marriage was like this. I think that it was based on a set of rules. It was based on the way that I was and the way I saw the world when I was only 23. And then as time went on, I learned and I grew and I started to realize things that I needed and I started to actually admit what my needs are. And the funny thing is, is when you actually start to admit that to a person who doesn't have the capability to meet those needs, it can kind of trigger like almost a sense of panic in the other person because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to fix it. And then all this chaos can go down, right? I think one sign that this could be happening to you is if you're with somebody that starts to give you things that really aren't theirs to give. Like let's say they let you hang out with your friends. They let you start a business. They let you go to therapy. I've, I've noticed that narcissists in particular, that they're so controlling that they actually get to the point where they believe that they are letting you do things when it's not their job to control you in that way in the first place. And I actually, I, I have a, a friend who got out of a narcissistic relationship with an overt narcissist. His response when the relationship started to break down was, I should have controlled you more. I shouldn't have let you hang out with that person. I shouldn't have let you do this. And it's, it's so funny because it's actually the opposite, right? He thinks the solution to the relationship breakdown was to control more, not control less, which is backwards. And if you've watched my video, I think the la I did a video of a few, few videos ago, I did a video on relationships. And as you may know, my definition of a relationship is freedom, freedom to be yourself. A relationship is not control. And if you are in a relationship like that where you're being controlled, I don't really know what the solution is except to get out of that relationship. It can be, you know, romantic relationship. It can be friendships. It can be family relationships. If you're a codependent with a narcissistic parent, you have the right to leave that relationship. And I, I want to just say that clear right now and give you the permission. You do not owe anybody anything. Unless you have kids, that's the one time where I feel like you do owe somebody something. That is basically a one-sided relationship. That's what a parent-child relationship is. But every other relationship, you do not owe anybody anything. Even in a marriage, I know this might be controversial, you do not owe that person anything that involves sacrificing your self-worth, sacrificing your needs, allowing yourself to be abused. You do not owe that person that. So here's an example. When I was married, my wife went with her two sisters and her mother on a little like three-day or three -day weekend kind of trip down to Vancouver. And when they came back, they were dropping my wife off. And my mother-in-law said to me, we had so much fun. Thank you so much for letting her go. And I looked at her and I said, letting her go? I'm like, I don't let her do anything. She's her own person. She's free to make her own choices. I don't dictate what she does. And to me, it seemed like a really strange thing to say to me. But I think it really caught her off guard that I said that. I think that I often 
caught her off guard, unfortunately. I say things in very direct ways sometimes. And she came back to me like a day or two later and said, actually, what, I really like what you said about that. I think that people are so caught in the mindset that somebody else controls them that it starts to bleed into their lives. And they actually they begin to think it's normal to be controlled, to actually have to ask your husband permission to go hang out with your family. It's ridiculous. If you're in a situation where you have to ask permission and there's somebody else that actually dictates what you are allowed to do, I don't know. I think you need to watch out for that. That is a red flag. Now that I have talked all about codependency and what I kind of think it is now, I wanted to talk about some solutions to the problem. How can you fix this? It seems like codependency is this thing that is inside of you. It is guilt and shame-based. It's this desire to help people in order to even know who you are as a person. So how can you start fixing this problem? All the literature kind of suggests that you kind of go to the, try to push yourself to the opposite side. And then when you've worked on it, you'll eventually come back to middle. So what are some specific things that you can do to work on this problem of being codependent or being an excessive people pleaser? The first step is to realize that nobody owns you. You are your own person. You are allowed to do what you want. You are allowed to think what you want. If anybody tries to tell you what to do, tell you what to think, tell you what to believe, those people are not good for you. They are not healthy. They are being manipulative. You are your own person and you are allowed to be you. It's better to be disliked and be authentically you than it is to be loved while pretending to be something else. The reality is if you are pretending to be something that you are not, it is inauthentic, which in of itself is a type of manipulation. You are actually deceiving people into thinking that you're something that you're not. It is a perpetual cycle that will just breed this bad feeling inside of you. If you have to pretend to be somebody else in order to be accepted, the only solution to that, unfortunately, is to become yourself to be unapologetically you. Quite often, that's gonna rub people the wrong way, especially if you are codependent and you've built all these relationships around codependency. It is very possible that you might lose a lot of your relationships, and that is gonna be incredibly painful. However, I guarantee to you that in the end, you'll have a couple hard years, guaranteed, but in the end, you will come out a much healthier, happier person that it has a sense of freedom. The really interesting thing is when you start to go through this process is you realize who your real friends are. A lot of people might just like you because of your projected self-image that you're putting out there. But once you actually start to be authentically you, some people will leave. But this is the interesting thing. As you do it, some other people will be quite attracted to that authentic you. And these videos are kind of a testament to that for me. I was always scared to talk about myself. I was scared to open up like this. And now that I've been doing it, a lot of people get something out of it. But a lot of people don't like it. Like I've had people in my everyday life criticize me for, for making these videos. And I just, at this point, I'm just like, yeah. 
You don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, next thing to work on. Practice saying no. Such a simple thing. Just say no to the things you don't want to do. It is so hard to do this in practice. It is still something that I struggle with. Recently, I had somebody ask me to hang out that I just didn't want to hang out with. And it is so tempting to make up an excuse. Oh, I'm so busy right now. Oh, I've got lots of work. I mean, I do have lots of work. The truth is, I don't have a lot of time. Do I have time for this person? No. However, it's still an excuse to say it. Is there a way that I can let my yes mean yes and my no mean no? And so it took me like three days to actually get the courage to just say no, basically. I don't want to hang out. <laughs> and it, it's scary to say that. And, uh, and people won't take that well. But I don't know. It, in a way, it makes me feel good because I'm being authentic. I'm being me. I'm not making excuses. Another exercise to try to fix this problem is, here's the problem. Codependents will often look at the other person and see all these problems that they need to help with. And this other person might even expect you to help with their problems. But here's the thing. You have to learn to recognize that other people's emotional suffering, other people's problems are not your problem. And in the case of most types of suffering or most types of confusion, or let's say people are struggling with their beliefs, all these things are issues that people have to fix for themselves. You can't fix somebody else's beliefs. These things all need to be self-realized. I mean, sure, can you be there to kind of guide a person along, to answer questions, to maybe, you know, prod them with like interesting questions that they can then go answer? Yes. That's not what I'm... I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't do those things. And I think maybe a good counselor, that's how they behave. They don't take on your emotional pain. They don't try to fix it for you. They don't try to go and fight your battles for you. They might give you some tools. But the thing is, it has to come from inside. People have to fix themselves. You have to get your head on straight that you can't fix other people. Even when people expect you to fix them. Going back to this relationship that I know of that broke down, he actually was upset in the end. As he said, you, he said to uh, my friend, he said, it, is, it was your job to fix these things in me. It's essentially what he said, and I, which was ridiculous. It is not somebody else's job to fix you. It is not your job to fix somebody else. So actually, this is a guilt-based issue. You have to realize that somebody else's suffering isn't a reason for you to feel guilty because you can't fix it anyway. So as soon as you realize that, the guilt will be lifted. And once that guilt is lifted, maybe you can help them in an appropriate way. But sometimes, just leaving them alone might be the, the most appropriate thing. Allowing them to work through those issues on their own and come to a new healthy realization. I encounter this a lot because I, I love to talk to people about their beliefs sort of one thing. So I'll talk to people of all different religions. And one thing that I've you know, obviously realized is that I can't tell somebody not to believe something. Uh, somebody else can't tell me what to believe. All you can really do is try to ask questions that kind of prod their own internal processing. But, you know, because beliefs come from within. And if somebody is taking on beliefs externally, 
then I would say they don't actually believe those things. And I think there's a lot of people in that camp. They're just pretending to believe stuff just because it fits the community that they live in. So another thing is agreeableness. I think some codependent people are just too agreeable. Instead of voicing their own opinion, they just, you know, they, they want to avoid a conflict. They, they want to avoid problems. They want to, you know, like if you grow up with a narcissist, you might have this deep ingrained in you. You're actually scared to voice your opinion because let's say you are with a narcissist and you voice an opinion and this narcissist loses it and perpetuates some kind of emotional abuse, physical abuse. You might learn over time to keep your opinions to yourself. So then you become agreeable. And I've noticed this especially with women. Um, as they grow up, I think that culture, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't want this to turn into like a, a feminism-based thing, but I actually really support this one thing. That as women grow up, I think that they are encouraged to be more agreeable than men. Like a, you know, a good woman is one that kind of stays down, quiet. And then it's almost like men are encouraged to be assertive. I think if you're a woman that has kind of grown up in that, especially if you've grown up in an extreme religious context. I was talking with somebody this week, and that's how she grew up. I mean, I grew up that way as well. But I'm a man, so I can't really pretend to know what it's like to be a woman. But I suspect that women, especially in those like hardcore fundamentalist religious contexts where women aren't even allowed to be leaders in, in some churches. I used to go to a church like that. They, they're not even allowed to be leaders based on some like a couple obscure verses in the Bible. I think, personally, that's damaging. To actually tell women that they can't lead, it's ridiculous. I think that if you grow up in that environment, it's very possible that you can get some deep-seated ideas in your head and you just become too agreeable. What's the solution to that? Speak your mind. Be direct. It is hard, I know. I mean, I think that I also struggle with being too agreeable at times. So something that's happened to me over the last couple years is I'm becoming less agreeable. And in areas of conflict before, I may have just sort of shied away. I'm like coming out of the closet with like very direct statements. And I have no problem now calling people out on manipulation. Um, it actually happened this past week. I got into a big religious discussion with an old friend of mine, a friend of mine from when I was really young. He's now a pastor leading this big church. And in his words, there was so much manipulation. I called him out on it. And he, he was upset. Uh, <laughs> he was very upset. So another thing, realize that when you are not yourself, that is inauthentic, which is a type of manipulation. I think I already mentioned this, but I want to reiterate it. If you are not being yourself, it is almost like you're being deceptive. If you want to feel guilt about anything, feel guilty about not being yourself. Don't feel guilty about being yourself. I think a lot of people are stuck in that. Uh, there was a comment last week where somebody was talking about how she's a teacher in Texas. And she basically can't be herself or she'll lose her job. And I said, 
it's better to lose your job and be yourself. To which, of course, most people would not agree with me. You know, you, you got to keep that job. The thing is, if you lose that job, then maybe you'll move in a different direction and get that job that's for you. If you can't be yourself, just to not lose your job, I mean, that sounds like prison to me. One more thing to work on. Don't use covert contracts. Covert contracts, like I mentioned before, are ways to get your needs met without being direct. So let's say you want a gift, you give a gift, and then hope that this person you know, gives you a gift back, rather than say, I would like you to do this for me. Codependent people have a very hard time just saying that. Hey, can you do this for me? Remember when I was married, um, I was married to somebody who had no problem telling me what to do. Hey, do this, do that. That's a blue job. I personally don't really like a lot of the gender roles that culture puts on to both men and women. So this whole thing about something being a blue job or a pink job has always been a little, I don't know, unattractive to me. So I lived with somebody that had no problem telling me what to do. She would have no problem sitting on the couch and saying, can you get me a glass of water when we're both sitting on the couch? And I would do it because, you know, I want to help people. But the thing is, when I'm sitting on the couch, I still wouldn't say, hey, can you get me a glass of water? I would just go get the glass of water myself. I think it's good to practice asking for things, asking people to do stuff. I've noticed especially a lot of INFJs, they don't even like to ask people things to the point where it almost becomes insulting, where like, let's say I have a bike and my friend really needs a bike. It's like, come borrow my bike, but this person is so whatever that they won't even ask because they feel bad asking. But here I am, I mean, I would feel good helping a friend, right? So it's, it's actually can be damaging to relationships when you start to, you just don't know how to ask for what you want or what you need. And then it goes, gets even worse when these covert contracts come out to the point where you know what you want and need, but you can't ask for it. So then you almost use manipulation to get it. And I think at that point, it can get very unhealthy. Anyway, maybe this video was a little heavy. I hope it didn't really turn out too heavy, but Basically, it's just my realization that people-pleasing is codependency. I think that I can say that with almost certainty now. So that's pretty interesting um, to actually realize that in the past, I think I was very codependent. And even now, I still have those codependent tendencies. I think it's really healthy to realize these things rather than try to say, no, no, I'm blameless. I don't have anything wrong with me. The other people have something wrong with them. And you might have heard me say it before that I used to say, either I'm crazy or everybody's crazy. And maybe that's too simplistic of a view I've come to realize. Everybody else might be crazy and they might have lots of issues, but that doesn't mean that I don't have some issues as well. Just like narcissists and codependents, one appears to be the abuser and one appears to be the victim, but it's not that simple because the codependent creates the environment for that narcissist to flourish. Narcissistic techniques don't work on healthy people. Anyway, thanks very much for watching the video. I hope you got something out of it. Let me know what you think in the comments. Have a great day. Talk to you later.